So hey guys, we're back with another podcast interview, and this man that we're going to be talking to, you may not have ever heard of before. He's not a he's not a writer. He doesn't uh, write movies. He uh you know he doesn't write novels. Uh, I don't know if he writes magazine articles, but we'll find out. But he brings Western history to folks in a different way. And he's got a fabulous story, and I can't wait to bring it to you. But before we do so, we got some folks that we want to thank. And the first one is the folks over at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. You can uh, subscribe. I urge everybody to do this uh, three-year for 60 bucks because if you go year to year to year, it's going to cost you $75 for three years. But if you do the three-year up front, it's 60 bucks, and that saves you $15. And Mark and Eric, they're doing a phenomenal job of bringing Western, Old West history in a newspaper format delivered right to your door, and that is at the Tombstone Epitaph. So if you want to subscribe, go over to the tombstoneepitaph.com. I also want to thank my friends at the Wild West History Association, which I'm a member of, and I believe, are you a member of, yes or no? Yes, okay. absolutely. There you go, because I tell everybody, if the answer is no, we're hanging up. Um <laughs> So uh, the Wild West History Association, we just had a roundup uh, at Rapid City, South Dakota. And oh, my God, we went everywhere. And 2023 roundup is going to be in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And we're going to be touring the Alamo and talking all about Western history in Texas. Now, if you want to join, uh, you go to wildwesthistory.org. Uh, it's 75 bucks a year. But out of that 75 bucks, you get the journal. And the journal is a book. It's truly a book, a 100-plus page book of Western history with true provenance, pictures, it's deep research, and you're going to love it. So check out the folks and join at wildwesthistory.org. Now, if you want even more history and you're a social media junkie like I am, check out the Wild West History Association's YouTube page. They've got so much video. I think they're just coming out with videos all the time. And uh, Pam... And uh, who else is over there? Uh, Eddie, they're putting videos together, and they're getting Wild West history in a video format. Of course, you can also find them, if you're an Instagrammer like I am, at the Wild West History Association page on Instagram. And it's all pictures with content. And give them a follow because, man, you're going to love what you get. Make sure that uh, uh, you check them out and you engage in the group because they're just Western history is everywhere. Of course, you can find my podcasts and interviews on uh, here, on, on the, wherever you're listening, if you're on the iHeartRadio app, or if you're on iTunes or Spotify, but you can also find me on Facebook at Cochise County underscore travels. You can find me on Instagram at Cochise County underscore travels, and yes, on YouTube at Cochise County underscore travels. So if you're... Looking for Western history, if you do all of those things, there is not enough time in the day to absorb it all. But man, you'll learn a lot. So the gentleman we have on the phone today is somebody that I didn't really know much about. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, Mike, um, I'm David or Dave. Now we're just Dave and Dave. And he said, I run the uh, Wild West History Association Instagram page, can you help promote? I said, yeah, man, I'll help you promote. I says, I'll give you some shout outs, which I just did. And uh, I followed the page and it's fantastic. 
what we what happened though is is we formed a, a relationship, we uh, formed a friendship. Because the more we spoke and the more we spoke and the more we spoke, we realized we have a lot in common. And uh, he's just a good guy. And today we're talking to David Guyton. And David Guyton is a reenactor, but he brings Western history along with his group called Aces and Eights. So if you go on Facebook and look up Aces and Eights. Now, if you type in the word Aces and Eights, you're going to be, oh my God, there's so many groups that you're going to have to work through. From bands to to, um, bars and, oh my gosh, and public group and private group. So you want to look for Aces and Eights, and it's a private group. Um, And if you're unsure about what to do or how to get a, a hold of them, you know, you can send me a message through my Facebook or Instagram page at Cochise County Travels, and I will hook you up and I'll send you a picture and I'll link you up to the group. It's real easy to do. So David, like I said, is a reenactor, but he's got an amazing story. So welcome, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. So you have a really cool story on how you got into Western history, but I want to talk first about you, where you're born and raised, and mm-hmm. and you're a police officer, uh, retired, I, I believe. Yep. Um, so thank you for your service. I'm a he- I'm a huge LEO supporter. That's law enforcement officer supporter. Um, and tell us about you a little bit. Well, uh, so I'm uh, from Marietta, Georgia, which is about uh, 30 minutes north of Atlanta. If you go out of Atlanta, straight up I-75, uh, you're going to run into Marietta. you got to go right through it. So uh, I was born and raised there. Um, lived my whole life there except for uh, the time that uh, I spent in the military uh, at uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, at Fort Bragg. I was in the 82nd Airborne for uh, six years. And after that, um, I moved back to Georgia and I became a police officer. Uh, I worked for the Cobb County Police Department, which is Marietta is in Cobb County and Cobb is the next county north of Fulton, which is, of course, where Atlanta is. So I did that for uh, a little over 26 years. Uh, I retired Mm. in uh, February of 2018. And when I retired, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, which is in the western uh, on the western side of the state. Uh, And I've been here for about four and a half years. So so as you. We, he told me a funny story, which is he had never been in an airplane before until he did. And tell everybody, because that's kind of a funny story about how you've never been in yeah, an airplane so, before. So growing up, when, when my family would go on vacation, we drove everywhere. I mean, we just, we, we never flew. Uh, you know, we went around. We didn't go far. You know, we go to Florida, whatever. But uh, so I had never flown on an airplane uh, at the time when I joined uh the army. And, uh, so I ended up, uh, after basic training, I went to jump school, which is where you learn to become a, a paratrooper. And so the first, the first time I ever flew on, on an airplane, I jumped out of it. I didn't land in the plane. I jumped out of it. And, and in fact, the first 15 times I flew, uh, I jumped and it wasn't until my, to my 16th flight 
where the jump the conditions on the drop zone where Baden's jump got scratched and I actually landed in an airplane. Now I've, I've since flown all over the world and, and, uh, you know, I've landed a few times, uh, in it actually in the plane. So, but yeah, yeah. First time I flew, I jumped. So that's kind of funny. I mean, we take flight for granted. I fly, um, a lot for my job, but to think right. that somebody's never flown before until he went into <laughs> an airplane to jump out of it. Yeah. Like this sucks. I'm, Go up in the air and I jump out. I don't even get land. I don't even get. I don't even get peanuts and a soft drink. Now, this sucks. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I was actually more excited about flying uh, for the first time than I was uh, to to be jumping out of the plane, which was exciting as well. But I was I was just like I can't believe I'm flying. So yeah, it was it's kind of a funny story. But uh, I've uh, I've I've flown all over the place uh, since then. So yeah. So you be you get out of the military. Mm-hmm. And you become a police officer, right? And tell that because a lot of men do come out of the men and women come out of the military, and because of their training and the I don't want to say the regiment, but the the disciplines is a better word. The disciplines mm-hmm. that you learn in the military it really made you a very successful police officer. Well. I- so, yeah, when I when I got out of the uh, when I got out of the army in 1991, um, I moved back to Georgia, moved back home, and I had a young family. I was married. Uh, my daughter had been born while I was uh, at Fort Bragg while I was in the military. And when I got out, I mean, you know, I I needed a job. Uh, I did. I didn't have anything lined up when I got out, and I had I had originally thought. Uh, that at some point in time, uh, when I got out of the military, I wanted to be a history teacher. I had actually considered uh, that, you know, becoming a becoming a teacher. Uh, but when I got out of the military, I needed a job and and quickly. Uh, so I started applying to the different departments around the metro Atlanta area. And um, as it turns out, looking back on it, I'm glad that I got hired by the department that I did because it's one of the finest in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like I said, I, I spent 26 years there. I did. Uh, I worked at all the different precincts. Uh, I worked in the gang unit. I was in uh, Crimes Against Children. I was a detective sergeant in, in the Crimes Against Children unit that investigates all the uh, you know, the crimes against, uh, mm-hmm. the, the folks that can't help themselves. Uh, I spent years on the SWAT team, uh, and I loved every minute of it. I absolutely loved every minute of it. And I knew pretty early in that this was what I wanted to do. I, I you know, I, I gave up the idea of, of, uh, being a teacher, uh, because I had found, I had found my calling, uh, in law enforcement and I, I absolutely loved it. So. Well, thank, again, thank you for your service, man. We appreciate you so thank much. Thank you. Yeah. So you moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and and I've been to Asheville and and Hendersonville, and mm-hmm. man, it's a beautiful place in in North Carolina. Yep. I think I think they got the the Bat Cave and yeah. that, the yeah. the tallest yeah. granite column with yeah. the with the elevator that goes up on the inside of that column to that mm-hmm. lookout, but Something caught your eye, and there was a big mansion out in the forest. And <laughs> did you not become? Tell us about. Did you not become a security guard for that? 
Yeah, so uh, Asheville, like I said, Asheville's in the western uh, part of North Carolina uh, in the mountains. Uh, beautiful area. Gorgeous. Uh, in uh, 1888, a fellow uh, by the name of George Vanderbilt, uh, of the Vanderbilt, New, uh, New York Vanderbilts, uh, came down to Asheville with his mother, uh, fell in love with it, uh, and, and immediately started buying up property. Um, he ended up at the height of the estate. It was 125,000 acres. Uh, and in 1889, he started, uh, construction on Biltmore house. Uh, and it is to this day, the largest private, uh, home in the country. It's 250,000, uh, or I'm sorry, 175,000 square feet, uh, 250 rooms, four acres of floor space. Uh, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it was built between 1889 and 1895. He actually opened the house to his family and friends on Christmas Eve, 1895. So this is during the Victorian era, obviously, and which is my favorite, uh, time period in in uh, in american history uh and I, I the first two and a half years i worked uh at biltmore i worked in the house uh in security and just fell in love with the place uh it's on if you've never been there it is absolutely you you can't fathom the size of this place and and the beauty uh it's, it's incredible and uh, so I worked inside the house for the first two and a half years and, and learned so much about the, the Victorian era. And uh, it's just been a, it's, it's been an educational experience for me. But you're still there, correct? Yeah, I, I am still there. Uh, I've been working for him for uh, four and a half years now. Uh, two years ago, uh, I changed departments and I started working at their, their equestrian center. So it's a private boarding facility, uh, on Biltmore estate where if you have a horse, you can, you know, feasibly you can bring your, your horse there and board the horse, uh, at, at this facility. So I've been working there for a couple of years. I actually had a couple of horses growing up. And then I had a couple of more uh, much later uh, in life, up up until about, gosh, I guess about 14 years ago. And then I, I got out of the horse business. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had some experience with them. So uh, I went down and talked to the folks. They had some openings. I went down and, and talked to them. And um, a few weeks later, I switched. Uh, so I've been at the equestrian center for uh, two years and uh, next month. So not quite two years, but almost. Wow. Because I've been there, yeah. I, I'm blown away at how beautiful. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. It, it's in the, is it in the Smoky Mountains area or the of the Appalachians? It's it's in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, but the Great Smoky Mountain uh, National Park, uh, the closest point to where I am is about it's about a 45 minute drive. So it's we're right on the right on the, the edge, coast, yeah. of, right on the edge of the national park. And I I go over there quite a bit. Uh, just kicking about over there. It's just such a beautiful area. You do a lot of camping over there. But there's a lot of history there too. There's a lot of tunnels. There's a lot of. Oh yeah. There's a lot of. I, I follow a lady on TikTok, and she goes all over showing the tunnels and the old rail lines and the bridges. There's a ton of mm -hmm. history. So was was that part of or the beginning of where you really 
started digging into history or was Wild West history always there? I think it's it's always been there to, to some degree. Um, so I'm 56 years old, and my generation was the last uh, generation to be able to watch uh, Westerns on television in primetime uh, that were still in production. Uh, the two the two big ones were uh, Gunsmoke and Bonanza. Oh, I love Bonanza. And, mm. Yeah, and, and Bonanza uh, aired through from 1959 to 1973, and Gunsmoke was on from 1955 to 1975. So as a as a as a kid growing up in the 70s, either one or the other was always on it at my grandparents' house, and my mm. and my parents watched watched them too. But I I remember my grandfather loving uh, both of them, and so that, so I was always watching, um, you know, the westerns. And on Saturday morning, you get up and there'd be reruns of the Lone Ranger and the Rifleman and. Uh, all, all those shows. Yeah, the, uh, Rif- the Rifleman's another and, one. Just love that one. Yeah, yeah, great show, great show. Uh, but then in the area where I grew up, uh, Marietta, Georgia, uh, is literally just covered with Civil War history. I mean, it, it, it's everywhere. I, I where I where I lived growing up, I, I was within 10, 15 minutes of several, uh, major battlefields, uh, uh, and, and fights that took place, uh, as Sherman marched, uh, down, down to Atlanta and then eventually on, on down to Savannah when he made his, you know, made his march to the sea. Uh, he actually burnt down my hometown. Um, but there's just so much civil war history all around Marietta, Georgia, Kennesaw, Georgia, that area. And, I became interested in that at a really young age, and I think probably that's where my love of history uh, came from. Was was actually all the Civil War stuff that that was around where I grew up. Uh, Kennesaw Mountain National Park is or National Battlefield is part of the National Park uh, Service. They have a great visitor center and, and a cool museum, and we would go there, and they there would always be uh, some guys, uh, Civil War reenactors, and that was huge back in the the uh, 70s and 80s in that area, but they would always have a, a little encampment set up and they would explain to folks, they would, you know, talk to them about the history of the Civil War and what it was like to to, to be a soldier and, and be in, you know, in these encampments and they would explain just the daily lives of, of the soldiers. And I, I just was just totally fascinated with that. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, like I said, always had a, an interest in history. Uh, and then that led much later, uh, you know, I grew up and like I said, I joined the, I went to school for a couple of years, uh, joined the military, um, got out, became a police officer, had a family, got busy, uh, like we all do. And so it kind of, it, it just kind of sat on the back burner for a while. But then, Sometime around 2006, 2007, I came across, I was on the internet, and I came across a, an organization called the Single Action Shooting Society, or SAS, where it's a, for people who don't know, it's a, it's a competitive shooting, but you dress up in uh, cowboy clothes or, or period uh, Western clothing. And so you have to have, you know, you have to, dress up like a cowboy and you go and shoot. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I'm a police officer. I'm 
I, I love shooting. And so I said, this is fantastic. This is just so much fun. So I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, 2009, I, I was doing something on the Internet, and I came across this uh, website for this Western Art Museum in Cartersville, Georgia. And, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the area, uh, growing up, Cartersville, I don't, I, I don't want to sound disparaging, but it was kind of a podunk town. I mean, it was a really small town, beautiful town, but there was nothing there. Uh, so, but it grew with the boom of the nineties and the, uh, 2000s. And it's, it's a really, it's a large town now. It's really large, but it's still beautiful. So I'm wondering, uh, what kind of Western art museum can Cartersville, Georgia possibly have? So I decided to go up there one day. And, uh, when I get there, I'm absolutely blown away by this museum. It's unbelievable. 120,000 uh, 120, square feet uh, Smithsonian-affiliated uh, museum of Western art. It's primarily paintings and sculpture, though they do have some artifacts and uh, they also uh, photography stuff. So while I'm there, um, I find out that every October – they put on the Booth Museum puts on the Southeastern Cowboy Festival and Symposium, and um, so I thought, well, that sounds pretty interesting. I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to come back up here and see what that is. So, the museum actually owns a couple of acres about a block away from the museum. It's a, a lot with nothing on it, some trees and stuff, but it's their festival grounds. And so I go back that October. This is October 2009. And I go back and again, I'm blown away by this because there's, there's chuck wagons. There's, there's an Indian village set up, uh, Native American dancers. They've got a, a, a Western town facade, uh, all sorts of Western related arts and crafts, uh, vendors selling, you know, Western clothing and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, God, this is just awesome. And, uh, part of the entertainment that day was, a reenactment of the gunfight at the OK Corral. And so I, I watched this, and when I see this, I'm like, that's what I want to do. That is what I want to do. I, I, that is so cool. So after it was over, I went down and I, uh, I sought out Doc Holliday. Uh, the guy that played Doc Holliday is a guy named Brent Burton. And um, I told him, you know, how much I enjoyed watching this. It was so cool. I said, I asked him, do you guys ever need uh, fill-ins? Do you, are you ever looking for, you know, to add people or whatever? He's like, yeah, actually, we need people all the time. I'm like, great, because I shoot, uh, I shoot in SAS, and which he did, he did as well. Uh, so he knew right away. Uh, so I, you know, I have the, I have the clothing, I have the guns. Uh, if you ever need anybody, you know, please give me a call. And so he took my phone number said, I'll call you next year. I was like, okay, sounds great. And I, I walked away really not expecting to hear back from him. But sure enough, about six weeks out, the following October, or it would have been September 2010, I get a phone call from Brent. Say, hey, this is Brent. You still interested in doing this reenactment stuff at the Booth Museum? I'm like, absolutely. He's like, okay, well, said, I don't know what part you're going to play just yet, but uh, I'll get back with you. Uh, a few days ahead of time and let you know. So, th so that year, 2010 was my first year 
doing the reenactment stuff. But so let uh, me ask you something before you continue on. Yeah. Sure. You're doing all this stuff. You're just on the cusp of becoming a reenactor. Yeah. But you had seen reenactments in other places. I'm not going to give the towns, but you had seen them in other places. Some of them mm -hmm. were like jokes and funny and not historically accurate and all that. And you were you like like what is this? This isn't true. That actually came. That actually came later. Um, oh. It, it after I had after I had joined oh, gotcha. uh, this group, it actually came later. And yet, but but to answer the question, yes, I was I was kind of shocked by it. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, uh, you know, I'm like because we, we try to do what we were doing as accurately as possible. Gotcha. Uh, and the, and the stuff that I was seeing, I was just like, holy cow, this is not even. It's really not even close. So but, uh, so you get contacted by this guy. Mm -hmm. He says yes. Now, a reenactor can't go down to Kohl's or JCPenney's <laughs> and, and, oh, I'm looking for reenactor clothes from 1880. Oh, come right over here. We have a, it. Where where does a person go? Well, you know, where are there online forums? Are there stores you can go to? Like, how did you put your ensemble together or did the person the group said well this is kind of what we need you to play or did they just say listen this is the requirement and this is what you need to do like how did the process go about because personally i'm fascinated by that well so like i said you know was, i i started it started this shooting with the single action shooting society and of course you have to have the clothing and on their website at the time uh, they had some uh, sponsors, uh, and so I—that's where I started. Was I, I saw the the ads on their website to these these online stores, uh, and there's there's a, there's a few of them. Uh, Wild West Mercantile is one. Uh, River Junction Trade Company is one that I've used. Um, Historical Emporium is another one. So. That's how I got started, but I, I kind of, you know, I wanted it to be uh, accurate. So I started doing some, I started looking for uh, books uh, to, to try and do a little bit of research before I, I you know, dropped all this money on these clothes. Uh, and there, there were several good books out at the time. Um, one of them was called The Look of the Old West. Uh, there's another one called I See by Your Outfit. And in these, go into depth about the the clothing of the victorian era uh specifically cowboy stuff um and there's there's several others that were out there so i, I get these books and i you know I read through them and i start buying stuff uh and i and i started shopping i used uh wild west mercantile and uh river junction trade company uh primarily uh early on um and a lot of their stuff is, is, I mean, it's, you know, it's like you said, you, you can't just find this stuff anywhere. It's, it's, in, it's hard. Uh, and you really got to dig for it. Uh, but that's how, that's how I got started. And I'll tell you another good, uh, resource, um, that I found later 
uh, were the uh, Sears and Roebuck catalog and the Montgomery Ward catalog from uh, that time period. Mm. I mean, that is exactly where these where people were. You know, that's where they're buying their stuff from. If if there's no store in town, they're ordering it from from these catalogs and you're looking at exactly what it was they would have been wearing. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, that those two catalogs are absolutely a treasure trove of, of history. Uh, so I've used those to, uh, so, look at stuff that, you know, that I might want to, um, buy. And then there's now on Facebook, there's a really good, uh, Facebook page and it's called who wore what in the American West. And, you can get any any question you have about uh, that era and and the clothing that was worn. You can find an answer on that page because the the folks that run that page are are phenomenal. It's a great great resource to use if you're if you're looking to get into this mm-hmm. sort of thing. So if you're wondering who we're spo- speaking to, uh, we're on the phone with David Guyton. He is a member of Aces and Eights, and and I do have an email. Is it Aces and Eights History? At gmail.com? That's it, yep. Yeah, so if you want how to get to the Facebook page or learn more about their group for reenacting or maybe even if you're in the area around it and you're thinking about wanting to have a reenactor group come to your area or if you have questions, uh, you can get a hold of them them at Aces and Eights. It's all spelled out, not numbers. Aces and Eights, history at gmail.com. Correct. When the many times that you and I had spoken, have spoken, we, we spoke about the fact that your group, unlike some reenactors, and, that, and there's probably big reenactors groups out there doing wonderful work, but your group specializes in a time period. And isn't it like a time period of like the 1870s to the 1900s? So you're in a 30-year period, correct? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. We, we're pretty much, uh, like, like you said, uh, 1870 to, uh, 1900. Uh, we do some stuff that takes place in 1898, um, in Skagway, Alaska, uh, involving a, a guy named, uh, Soapy Smith. He was probably the, the most prolific con artist of the Old West. And he just happened to be from Noonan, Georgia, which is, uh, just over from Griffin, Georgia, uh, where Doc Holliday was from. Mm. So, but this guy, Soapy Smith was, was from Georgia and went out West and became this, uh, he, he, he had a whole group of, uh, guys that he traveled around with, uh, scamming people out of their money. And we do, we do the killing of, uh, Soapy Smith as, as one of our reenactments. Well, if you go on Facebook, incidentally, there's a Soapy Smith page ran by a friend of mine, Jeff Smith, who yep, lives. Jeff's a great guy. Yeah, he lives up in uh, Williams, Arizona, um, yeah. or Northern Arizona. He's not exactly in Williams, but great guy, Jeff Smith, and he's part of Soapy Smith family. He's a descendant of. Mm-hmm. But you said something when we were talking about the authenticity of your group, which is your group will research the gunfight based upon court transcripts mm-hmm. and transcripts and, and eyewitness accounts. Tell, right. tell us about that process of how your group puts together a reenactment based upon true facts. Well, so um, 
going back a few years, uh, there's a founding member of this particular group, a guy named Robert Terry. And Robert and I were, uh, we were in the same reenactment group at the Booth Museum. Our first year, my first year was his first year. And so we, we, I've known him since 2010. Um, but, uh, probably five or six years ago, he and I started talking about, uh, adding some, some, um, living history to, to the reenactment stuff. And, and by that, I mean, doing what the native americans were doing uh where they had set up a small vill- uh, village i mean they, they've they've got teepees they've, it's just incredible i can't describe it uh the amount of stuff that they bring to this this festival and and we thought well you know we need to do something like that so he and i were talking about it uh fast forward you know i ended up moving to uh north carolina when i retired and i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to to keep doing it uh, doing the reenactments, but in 2019, uh, Robert and another guy from the group split off and, uh, formed Aces and Eights. And so true to what he and I had discussed, you know, a few years prior to that, um, they started incorporating living history into not only doing the reenactments, but doing the living history. But as, the, as far as the reenactment goes, um, of the gunfight at the OK Corral, um, we did the research, you know, uh, using the most reliable sources that we could find, eyewitness testimony, uh, testimony of the actual participants as it was documented, uh, uh, courtroom testimony, to try and put together what is, what we hope is, what we think is probably the most accurate version that you're going to see. Um now, of course, in 1881, there was no CSI. There's no um, crime scene investigation that's, you know, where, whereas today you would document every aspect of something like that. You would know where every bullet came from, every gun that, that they would match up everything. And there was nothing like that back then. So, you know, they don't even know what guns were actually used uh, in the in the gunfight. Um, you know, there's all sorts of speculation, but I don't think there's anyone that really knows for sure. Um, other than that doc holiday had the shotgun and the nickel plated revolver. Uh, but like I said, based on, based on all those things, we, we, we have tried to come up with a, a gunfight that is as historically accurate as we can possibly put together. Uh, we know, you know, there are there were certain shots that we knew uh, certain people took and hit certain people, but some of the other stuff, you know, there's there's always was Tom McClowry armed? Did he have a gun? Um, so we take we take all that into consideration, and I think uh, you would be hard pressed, I think, to find another group that does a more accurate version of that of that particular gunfight now we do have to make some concessions for safety's sake and for the sake of the audience both for the members of the group who are doing the shooting and the folks in the audience we we have to maintain some distance you know as uh, the lot that this gunfight took place on uh, between the flies boarding house and the hardwood house was about 18 feet wide well we test all of our blanks that we use in these uh, reenactments and um, about the closest that we can stand to each other and shoot at 
one another without receiving some type of injury is is about 20 feet. So we're standing further apart than the lot was wide. I mean, when they when the when the fight started, they were about six feet from each other. So and and there's no way we can do that. And we have to be cognizant of the audience, uh, you know, and their safety. We can't be shooting toward toward the audience. You know, you've got people on on the ends that are close to closer to the group, uh, closer to the folks who are watching. So we have to take all that in, into consideration. So it's not going to be as quite as fluid as what probably took place, but taking that into consideration, it's still it's still really accurate. So because. You- your group not only does the reenactment, but they also have somebody, is that correct, reading? Like they, they're going to read the chain of events of what they're going to see? Yeah, the way we do it, so we have a narrator that comes out to uh, start talking to the crowds, and they, they explain, they give a little bit of the background history that, that leads, the, the, the events that lead up to, the actual fight now it's such a you know people watch movies and they think well all this stuff happened in a period of you know a, a few days a few weeks it actually took place you know between 1879 and, and 1882 when when uh wyatt and his posse along with doc holiday when they fled arizona uh so it's 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 spread out so we can't you know we're not gonna we're not trying to um we don't want to lose anybody by going over all of it, but we hit the highlights um, of what led up to the fight, and then we do we do we run through it twice uh, each show. What we do is we do a slow motion version where the narrator explains shot by shot oh, what's cool. what's take what's taking place, who's shoot who's shooting at who. That's cool. what happens, and and it goes and it takes you know it takes a few minutes to go through it that way. And then we go back and we load up and we, we come back out and then we do it in real time. And, you know, within, you know, 30 seconds, it's over. Uh, but, but people get to see it both in slow motion and then what it most likely actually looked like. So mm-hmm. they get to see it twice and it, and it makes a little more sense when you, it makes a little more sense to them when you do it in slow motion and then they can, and then they see it in full time because otherwise, I mean, you're just, you know, you're out there for basically a minute and it's over with. So we try to give them, give them a little more. How many, how many gunfights or reenactments? And I'm not saying the, the, the gunfight on Fremont street, but how many different, like you did the one for, um, Soapy Smith, you're doing, you know, for Soapy, you're doing the one for the OK Corral. You know, how many different ones right. does your group do? So we've got, so it's a young group. Uh, like I said, it was formed in 2019, and that was the first year that they did. So Griffin, Georgia, every uh, September puts on uh, a big festival called the Doc Holiday Festival. And, of course, Doc Holiday was from Griffin, Georgia. And so we started uh, being the primary entertainment uh the year the group was formed in 2019 uh, at the Doc Holiday Festival. Of course, everything got canceled in 2020. Um, and then you know, we were there last year and then again this year. But we're so it's a young group and we're still trying to, to put some stuff together. But we do the we do the killing of Soapy Smith, um, which took place in July, July 8th, 1898 in Skagway, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and we try to uh, we're trying to keep some of it connected to the you know because we're in we're in Georgia or the group is is based out of Georgia. So we're trying to incorporate uh, Georgia history or or southeastern history uh, with some of this stuff. So there was another gunfight, um, uh, the shootout uh, on Gay Street that took place in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I've not done that one. It's been done at a couple of shows that I was unable to participate in just because some of this stuff comes up last minute. And it's a for me. I'm the I live the farthest away. Uh, most of the folks are in North Georgia or right across the line in uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm way over here in Asheville. So sometimes it's if I don't get enough notice, it's a little hard for me to get to some of the stuff. But they've done that one. Uh, and we're working on uh, a shootout that took place in Dothan, Alabama. It's called Dothan Riots. Uh, we haven't got that one completed yet. So right now, our, our moneymaker um, is the you know the street fight on Fremont or gunfight at the OK Corral. So people are watching the gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm-hmm. They're seeing this going on it's right in front of their faces. They're probably lined up or sitting in chairs in a safe spot that you've deemed a safe spot. Mm-hmm. The gunfight is over, and you're mingling with the crowd. You get a lot of people that come up and say, "That's not how it went down at all." Or, uh, you know, honestly, it- I, I've never had anybody uh, critique it like that. Uh, they're all they. It's it's well received. Uh, I've never had anybody come up and and say, "Well, that didn't happen," or or that was not right, or you know. And again, uh, a lot of this stuff, you know, 141 years later, it, there's still a, a debate going on about this gunfight and, and what happened and what actually happened. And 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 we're probably never going to know the whole complete story. So it's but you've got you still got to this day, you've got two sides that are just that still have strong feelings about this mm-hmm. about this gunfight. But so the reason I ask you is, is. So many people take what they see from the movie Tombstone, and right. that's kind of what I was asking. Like, that's not how that happened because in the movie it was this way. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I've never had. I, you know, and that's so. That's one of our that's one of our primary goals uh, in this in this group is to present actual history and and to uh, you know refute some of the stuff that you see in in the movies. Uh, I did last year. I worked on a, a thing for I, I'd, I'd come across this website years ago, and the website was called the Historical Inaccuracies of the Movie Tombstone, and it was just a bullet point list uh, of everything that, or maybe not everything, but a lot of things that were wrong with the movie. And I went back several years later and couldn't find the website. I guess it had been taken down. So for my own for my own use, last year. Um, I sat down and I started writing uh, Your a, own list. It was basically a list called the historical inaccuracies of the movie Tombstone. And I probably watched at that point in time, I probably seen Tombstone a hundred times. Well, I probably went through it fifty more times, uh stopping, fast forward and revert, you know, uh mm-hmm. rewind and uh and and trying to uh get everything that I could. So it's basically a list that you, you can read along with the movie and it tells you what you're seeing and it goes scene by scene. It tells you what you're seeing, 
uh, what's wrong with what you're seeing and what actually happened. Well, that so, should be a book. And I, that should be a I pamphlet. Just did that. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. That should be like a pamphlet. It ended up being like, I don't know, it was like 14 or 15 pages. But again, it was for my own, it was really for my own use. I've shared it with a couple of mm-hmm. close friends who are fans of the movie. And, you know, I, and I love the movie. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Don't, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Yep. But I mean, it, you know, it, it, there's a lot wrong with it, but they, they got a lot right, but there's a, there's a lot wrong with it as well. And it was just, I just thought it'd be fun to go through and, and pick out the, the stuff that, that was wrong. And, and if anybody that I knew that really liked the movie, I'd be like, Hey, you know, take a look at this and uh, see what you think. And uh, so I've done that a few times, but it, it's, it, it was really just for my own purposes more than anything. So as you're, as you're moving along in this reenactment group, mm-hmm. you're bringing Western history to folks in a live, this is why I wanted to interview him because he's, Obviously, authors and researchers write the books and we read them. For me, I'll never write a book, but my part of bringing Western history is interviewing amazing people and telling right. their stories. And then David comes along and is bringing Western history in a different light through a reenactor and in a reenactment group that's bringing it historically or as close as they can get to historically accurate. Right. Does the group talk amongst themselves on a year to year basis and say, you know, I've, we've been looking at like the Northfield raid, or we've been looking at this, we've been looking at that. Is mm-hmm. it, you got, are you looking at future reenactments of maybe researching and bringing into the list or are you guys pretty absolutely. much where you're yeah, at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, you're of, of course familiar with Bob Buzz Bell and he's got a, he had a, a three volume uh, series of classic gunfights and he, yes. you know, he does these month in true West magazine right. and they're great books. They're great books. So um, the, there's several of us in the group that have these books and we're, we're kind of going through looking at stuff and hoping to pick out, you know, a couple more that we can, that we can uh, write and, and, research a little more in depth and, um, and present those at some, at some point in time in the future. It's not, um, right now we're, we're trying to focus on, on, uh, Griffin. We're trying to focus on growing the group, uh, on social media, uh, both, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, there are plans to do just that. So, so why don't you give them your, your email, which we just gave it's aces and eights history. Mm -hmm at gmail.com. Where else can we find you? Uh, on Instagram, uh, it's aces and eights history, and it's all spelled out one word, aces and eights history. Um, and so those are our two primary, uh, uh, platforms right now where we're, you know, we can post mm-hmm. stuff and, and you have Facebook. Uh, yeah, we do have Facebook on Facebook. It's, it's aces and eights, but it's uh, aces spelled out in the little ampersand, sign the and sign mm-hmm. and then eights uh, that's that's where you can find us on facebook okay and do you take uh um like will you do private groups private parties and things like that yeah uh we've not done that so far but we're looking to do as much as we possibly can uh and that's that's certainly within the realm of possibility if anybody ever wanted us and we do have cards that we give out at these at these mm-hmm. shows. Um, 
uh, our next little thing is going to be over uh, in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee at the Soddy Daisy uh, Pioneer uh, Festival. The group did it last year. It was kind of a last minute thing for me and I didn't get, I didn't get to go, but I've made, I've made plans for it this year. So we're going to be, we're going to be there November 5th. I think it's the day. It's Saturday, November 5th. Uh, we'll be there, uh, working on getting a, getting a gunfight approved, uh, through the town. Uh, we haven't got word back on that yet, but we'll definitely be there. Uh, Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, I think is just a little bit north of Chattanooga. Um, like I said, I, I've not been over there, but it's it's about three and a half hours from where I am. So, oh, and we'll also be um, we won't be performing, but we'll also be at the Booth Museum at the uh, Southeastern Cowboy Festival and Symposium on October twenty second. We we will be mingling and talking to people uh, dressed out, you know, in our in our um, period clothing, uh, but but we won't be performing. We'll just be. Uh, like I said, mingling and, and talking to folks. So that's in October. Well, we're talking to David Guyton. You'll find David uh, again at Aces and Eights History uh, at gmail.com. You can find him at Aces and the, uh, you say it better than I do, the hamper stand. I can't even say it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a tongue thing, tongue in cheek thing. Yeah. And, uh, um, you found that at Aces, Hamperstand, uh, and uh, Eights uh, mm-hmm. on uh, Facebook. You can also find him, like I said, at uh, or like he said, on Instagram. Uh, but you, the, probably the best thing to do is email the group, and then they can help you if you can't find it because Aces and Eights is sure. such a popular uh, name. Of course, I want to thank my friends over the Tombstone Epitaph, uh, Arizona's longest-running newspaper, Mark and uh, and Eric, putting together the, a fantastic magazine or, or a paper, newspaper. And the folks at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. Uh, again, you can find Wild West History uh, Association on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. They're everywhere. And David is running the Instagram page for the Wild West History Association. So go see what he's doing there. Uh, you can find me... On Facebook at Cochise County underscore travels, on Instagram by the same Cochise County underscore travels, and on YouTube, uh, as well as iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Stitcher. You know, make sure that you leave a rating and a review and hit that subscription bell or button. And uh, because we're doing content every week, if you head over to the Facebook or the Instagram page, I'm posting content of my personal travels, and there's a lot of my personal travels. Uh, through the American Southwest at Instagram and Facebook. So again, make sure you hit that uh, subscribe or follow button, and I'd appreciate it. It does help with uh, distribution. Um, I think that's – you got anything left, bud? We all good? I'm great. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And again, I want to thank him for his service because not only did he serve our country in the military – but he also served as a law enforcement officer. When you combine the two of those, you know, that's 31, 32, 33 years. I mean, it's just crazy. And uh, and that's a long time to serve your country and do it well. And for that, we really, uh, we salute Dave and we appreciate him a bunch and we send him some love. And, and man, you just can't get any better than that. As always, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Mike. I really do. Thank you. Oh, no problem. And as always, I appreciate you guys. Uh, safe travels and we'll see you next time.